to warm up in here, I think. We're going to have to tell the school that it is springtime now, and we can turn the heat down a little bit. Church at Galatia was a church that struggled with uh, with religion. A lot of churches today struggle with religion. Church at Galatia had somehow gotten their focus off what God had done for them on what they could do for God. They were adding things to the grace of God and beginning to believe that those things would be part of what brought them into a saving relationship with him. You go back to the first chapter of Galatians and and you read where Paul warns them of being deceived by another gospel. Uh, kind of an interesting uh, translation in, in the King James anyway. He says it's another gospel which is not another, meaning it's another gospel, a different gospel than the one that I delivered to you, but it's not another one of the same type that I delivered to you. It's, in other words, it was totally totally off base. They had gotten, uh, they had really determined that, uh, that um, they could do something to add to the grace of God. Uh, and so the book of Galatians is basically uh, Paul's letter to them straightening out the legalism that was in the church. And um, any church today, including this one, can get into that kind of a mode if we're not careful. We began to start looking at what needs to be done, and we, and we know that, uh, uh, that we ought to live godly, and we know that there are certain things that we ought to do as Christians that are just right to do. But if we're not careful, we start adding those to uh, those things that we can do uh, to God's plan of salvation. And then we've got a problem because that perverts the gospel. Because the gospel is the message, uh, the good news that, that salvation is free. That it's by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. No, no good deed we can do. We'll earn it. Uh, lest any man should boast. We can't boast of, of anything that we've done to, uh, that would bring us into a relationship uh, with God. Well, in his letter, Paul, by the way, the, the Apostle Paul, you got to remember, was Saul of Tarsus. That was his Jewish name. And Saul, as Saul of Tarsus, he was a he was a greater legalist than anybody. I mean, he he went around persecuting the church, trying to get people to, uh, you know, actually imprisoning Christians, trying to do away with the whole the whole uh, body of Christ if he could. Until one day he met the Lord on on the road to Damascus. And his life was changed. And appropriately, he began to go by his Roman name, um, which was Paul. But Paul knew something about 
the failure of a, of a merit system religion. He knew more about that probably than anybody in his day. I expect anybody in any day for that matter. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, uh, what a great honor it was uh, that God would honor him by allowing him to be the uh, human instrument to write more of the New Testament than anybody. Uh, here is a, uh, you know, isn't it amazing how God can use your, your past even when you have been maybe not serving him? Uh, as you should have before, and he still does that. There are things that uh, I can see in my own life before I, I came to Christ that God has been able to uh, to use because I've redirected it and uh, started going in the right way, and I'm sure that you've noticed the same thing in your life. Well, that was true in Paul's life, and Paul was a, uh, he was a great, uh, a great believer in this whole subject of grace because he had tried it the other way and knew that it didn't work. And his desire in Galatians here is to bring them back to the central theme of the Christian experience and that is the cross and what went on there at the cross. We've been singing about the cross this morning. I just, you know, those old songs about the cross are just some of the greatest. They've got such wonderful messages. Uh, they just preach to us so much about the wonderful grace of God that took place, that was, was manifested there on, uh, on, on Calvary's cross. Well, after discussing the failures of any attempts that man might ever make to measuring up to the expectations of, of God through his own works of righteousness, Paul tells them what he, what he did in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Verse 14 says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus, that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only thing I have to, all, that I have to, uh, to, to brag about is what Jesus did, not what I've done. What went on at the cross? I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the road that led to that cross. It was a long road. It was a difficult road. It was a different road than you might think. Let me share some things about the road to the cross. First of all, it was conceived in heaven. God was the designing engineer, if you wish. He knew every turn that it would take. He knew every, he knew every hill. He knew every valley. He knew every turn. God designed it all. And as that, as the designing engineer of the road to the cross, he was motivated by love 
God's very nature motivated him to reach out to men. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says that God is love. Not just that God loved and that God loves, but God is love. His very nature motivated him to reach out to man. And, and the great news is that his love was universal. It was for all people. I love that verse of scripture that most of us learn in Sunday school. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the whole world. That mean he loves me? Yes, it does. That mean he loves you? Yes, it does. Does that mean that he loves the, the the worst sinner in Napa, Idaho? Yes, it does. He even loves those sinners over there in, in Meridian and and those over there in Boise, and he loves everybody because he is love. God isn't just interested in a casual relationship either i want to tell you john fifteen thirteen says that greater love hath no man than this and he laid down his life for his friends nobody you see nobody's ever had any greater love than to die for someone and people listen to me very closely don't try to get through your christian life with some sort of casual relationship with god Casual Christianity is a slap in the face of God. It really is. When we decide we're going to just kind of float through life, we're just going to kind of do our thing, and oh yeah, we'll hook on to God, we'll hook God onto things every now and then, or maybe use Him as a spare tire, or use Him as a as some sort of relief agent. I want to tell you, it's a, it's an insult to God. God committed to you and I. God made a I mean, you talk about commitment. He gave what was most precious to him. He gave the life of his only begotten son that you and I might be able to have that relationship with him. Which really brings up the second point in the message. Not only was it conceived in heaven, but the the road to the cross you see, this trip started before time. The trip started before time. Before man existed, God in his foreknowledge determined to do what was necessary to reach him. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse uh, chapter 1 and verse 4. It basically says long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Even before the foundation of the, of, of the world, Jesus, it was, he was as good as crucified. It was done. In fact, Revelation 13 and verse 8, speaking of the Lord Jesus, it says, as the lamb, the, he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And you know what? When it 
when I come back to this, I begin to think about the fact that, 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 that the road to the cross and the trip to the cross started even before time. Even though he knew that you and I would fail him, he went ahead and died for us anyway. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God commended or he demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, that's, that's blown my mind ever since I've known the Lord. To know that Jesus lived some 2,000 years ago and, and could literally look down through the corridors of time and he could see Lou Hill, who didn't deserve anything, but yet he would die for me as the sinner that I am. I want to tell you, that does something for me. He knew us before we knew that we needed him, yet he made a way. Not only was this road to heaven, this road to the cross, I should say, conceived in heaven, and did the trip start before time, Thirdly, it was not an easy trip. It was not an easy trip. You see, there were thieves, there were liars, murderers along the way. From the beginning, the enemy's done what he can to derail the trip, whether directly or indirectly. The devil did not want Jesus to go to the cross. The devil did not want man to be able to to come to him at the cross. He tried directly by attacking people like Job. You know, you've read about Job. You read about Job and you see a man who's, who's prospering. He's doing wonderfully. And the devil asked God a very simple question. Why don't you just take your hand off of him and see if he doesn't. Turn his back on you. He's doing well because you're protecting him. That's a, that's a paraphrase, of course. But that's what he said. And God allowed him to go directly to Job and to do everything that, that he could with the exception of taking his life. He took his children. He took his servants. He took everything that he owned. He even took his health. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What faith. What, what tremendous faith. And you know what? The devil's still doing that kind of stuff today. He's, still, he's doing his best to get us off track. He does his best to, uh, to, to get us to turn our back uh, to the Lord. The, the trip to the cross is not an easy trip. You know what? I was thinking about Job. Not only did he try to directly derail him, 
He tried indirectly as well by, by using people to do his dirty work for him. Instead of going directly, he used people. People who claimed to be good people even. You read very much of Job and you'll find that Job had some fair weather friends. Now Job, you wouldn't be having these problems if you weren't a sinner. Job, if you weren't failing God, you wouldn't be having these problems. After all, everybody knows that anybody that, that, that serves God never has any problems. Big problem with that statement, amen. But they just, they just kept on him and on him and on him. Trying to get him to, uh, to turn his back on, on the Lord. Even though that was not their, their, their desire, they wanted him to confess for the sin that he was guilty of so he could walk with God and be as righteous and as self-righteous as they were. So you see, sometimes God uses people who claim to be Christians just, as, just like he uses people who are not Christians to derail us. We've got to be very, very careful of that. God told the devil... Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me, let me, let me just come back to this. You know what? I, when I was thinking about how the devil tries to get us off track and ha- tries to pull us off the off the road to the cross, he tried to get Jesus off the uh, the road to the cross. Matthew chapter four, you read where Jesus went into the wilderness. He was tempted for forty days, but yet he was without sin. The devil came to him three different occasions, came to him and tried to get him to sin. And Jesus answered with scripture every time. He did what he could, thinking he, in, in, in total ignorance, he should, should have known that here's God in the flesh. Does he think he's going to get God to turn against himself? The devil may be pretty smart, but he's kind of stupid too. Jesus won that battle, of course. He even... You know, I, even even to the point of going to the cross. You read in, in Matthew 26 where, where the Lord is, is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and, and he is in literal agony, literally sweating blood in, in prayer. Oh, and the devil, I'm sure, thought he was right on the edge, but he wasn't. You see, the devil will do what he can. If he'll tempt the Son of God, he'll tempt you and I as well. By the way, temptation is not equivalent with sin. Temptation is trial. To be tempted is one thing. To sin is another. To fall fall into the temptation is another thing. And you and I are tried every day. And we can pass the test if we want. It just wasn't an easy trip to the cross because we have an enemy who tried to try to destroy all along the way. And finally, God did something. And I love this verse of Scripture. Go back. Hold your place uh, there in Galatians. We'll probably come back to that in a minute. But, but uh, in um, Genesis chapter 3, back in the very beginning, man has 
fallen. He's become a sinner as a result of the temptation of, of, of the devil himself. And God is not happy, obviously. And he's not only not happy with, with man and woman. But he's not happy with the devil especially. And he gives an indication of what's going to happen to the devil, the enemy, right here in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. He turns from his, his attention from, uh, from man and woman to the devil himself. And in verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, what is this? You have tempted my creation, mankind, and he has fallen into sin. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And now here comes the prophecy. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, her seed turns out to be the Son of Man, slash the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. I don't know in your, whether in your Bible or not it's capitalized, the, the second seed, her seed, as capitalized for a reason, because that seed is the Lord Jesus himself. Let's go back and read 15 again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Got an interesting thought here. That's a, a kind of a, a kind of an in, interesting uh, translation. The, uh, in the original you'll find that there's a little bit more emphasis placed on the bruise, on the bruised head than the bruised heel. The bruised heel turns out to be kind of a, well, as, as it should be, turns out to be, you know, when you hurt your, when you hurt your foot, it, it makes you uncomfortable and it's a temporary situation, right? But the word for bruise, where he says he shall bruise your head, <laughs> you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's the emphasis there. You may think you did something when, when you get through at the cross. You may think it's all over. But I'm telling you, the one that you, uh, whose, whose heel that you bruised, he's going to crush your head. He tells the devil, you're toast. It's over. Great. One of the greatest prophecies in the scripture. Wasn't an easy trip. And it still isn't. It wasn't easy. And it still isn't. Let me give you a fourth thing about the road to the cross. It's a trip that everyone needs to take. A trip that everyone needs to take. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin." Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. 
Throughout the Bible, the shedding of blood has been has been emphasized as a means to cleansing man from his sin and, and reconciling him to a holy God. Countless animals were sacrificed in the, in, in the Jewish sacrificial system looking forward to the cross. You see, everything you look at in the Old Testament looks forward to the cross. And everything that we look at, we, we're looking back to the cross. But everything that was going on, we have the symbolism of the blood sacrifices. And by the way, in case you think that uh, uh, that the, the blood sacrifices of, of, of sheep and, and, and goats and, and bulls, you think those are doing any good, read the book of Hebrews, which will explain to you that God has no interest in, the, in, that, in that blood. It was all symbolism pointing to the precious blood of the Lord Jesus that would be uh, that would be uh, shed on Calvary's cross. When Jesus died, he shed his precious blood as the final blood sacrifice that would take away the sin of the world, according to John one twenty nine. Men and women need to take a trip to the cross. Boys and girls need to take a trip to the cross, identifying with what Jesus did there in order to be reconciled to God. People today want to thumb their nose to God. They want to thumb their nose to Jesus Christ and say, ah, I think there's probably some other way. I want to tell you, there's going to be a day when when, when you or I or anyone who would have an attitude like that are going to have to know that there is no, no, rec, uh, no, no reconciliation with God, no relationship with God whatsoever. There is nothing that is going to, uh, going to take the place of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross that will make that relationship possible. Our faith must be in that. That's why we sang, what will wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I used to have the hardest time understanding that. How can blood wash away anything? I'm going to tell you, it's the blood that makes us clean. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he shed it. We don't, we don't soak ourselves in blood. Our faith is in that blood that's shed by Jesus Christ. But people are going to be sadly, sadly... Uh, upset and disappointed if they trust anything other than that. For there is, without the shedding of the blood of Christ, there is no remission of sin. And a daily trip to the cross. And by the way, I think we need one every day. We don't need to get saved every day. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You only get saved one time. But it's good for us to go to the cross every day because it's that trip to the cross for you and I as believers that will remind us that our sin was paid for once and for all. And that, that we are to reckon ourselves dead unto sin but alive unto God. As Romans 6.11 tells us to. We need to take that trip to, to the cross every day. Oh, you won't find anybody there. It's empty. He was taken from that cross. We don't need to die. He doesn't need to die there again. And we don't need to, 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 to 
get saved again. But what we do need to do is to know that, that Jesus has paid for our sin and that when we placed our trust in him, that says it all for us. Crucified with Christ. That's you and I. Dead to sin. That's you and I. But we must reckon it so by faith. For even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can find ourselves still serving the enemy. Let me give you the last thought about the road to the cross. It was conceived in heaven. The trip started before time. It wasn't an easy trip. And it's a trip we all need to take. But finally, it's a trip we don't have to take alone. We don't have to go there alone. Every one of us deserves to go there alone. Every one of us deserves to pay the price that Jesus paid on the cross. For you see, every one of us is a sinner. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 tells us very clearly there is none of us that are righteous. Not one. Verse 23 goes on and tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If a person won't admit that they're a sinner, they're, they've got a great problem. They're not being honest with themselves because anybody who's honest with themselves would, would have to admit that they failed the Lord. And if we got what we deserved, it would have been you and I hanging on that cross. If we got what we deserved, you and I would be burning in hell today. Oh, that's not popular. Not at all. I mean, after all, talk, preacher talked to us about all the, the good things of Christianity and all that. I want to tell you, that is the good news about Christianity. We don't have to go to hell. Man, I've, I've never been so relieved in all my life to know that if something happened to me and I died, I'd not have to wake up in hell. What a, what a great benefit. <laughs> That's the whole thing. You know, one of the things that I was talking with someone this week, and it, it, it's, it's somewhat of a sad commentary to the, uh, to the condition that, that, that the corporate church has, has, has come into, and by the way, it's not every church is like this, but, but many churches have gotten so caught up in the church growth aspect of the thing that, uh, that, uh, they don't know how to witness. And now there are people that actually have, you know, there's a new evangelism program going on for, uh, just about every few years, somebody comes up with a new way to share your faith. And someone has come up recently with a, with a program that says you actually need to explain to people why they need to get saved. And it's not so they can all, everything, everything can be just wonderful here on earth. You know, isn't that sad that we get to a point where we, 
And I told this individual, I said, man, I'm, I'm loving hearing that because you know what? That's the way I learned to win souls 30 years ago. People need to know that there is something to escape. And it's not popular, but the payment for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the good news, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Talking about not having to go there alone, although we deserve to go there alone. Jesus will not allow it because he's already made the trip. And he promises to make it with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we don't have to die on a cross. Jesus did that for us. We don't have to die on the cross. But in, in order for us to reap the benefits from Jesus' trip to the cross, we've got to identify with him. And we've got to identify with his trip to the cross. Thus we must go to the cross, but not alone. For our friend Jesus Christ is willing to meet us there. I love, we've sang some of these great old songs this morning. I love the words of Charles Moody. Listen to these. Some of you have sang these words many times. Kneel at the cross. Christ will meet you there. Come while he waits for you. List to his voice. Leave with him your care and begin life anew. Kneel at the cross. There's room for all who would his glory share. <coughs> Bliss there awaits. Harm can ne'er befall those who are anchored there. Kneel at the cross. Give your idols up. Look unto realms above. Turn not away to life's sparkling cup. Trust only in his love. Kneel at the cross. Leave every care. Kneel at the cross. Jesus will meet you there. Isn't that great? When Jesus Christ made his trip to the cross, it changed the world. Pointing to Jesus, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. When Jesus went to the cross, he made it possible for every person who will come to him by faith to have a hope. Not only for, for eternity, but for right now. When Jesus went to the cross, he demonstrated how much God really loves us and what he's willing to do to provide for us. You know, it's important to notice that, that God sought us out. He's the one that designed the road. He's the one that determined the cross had to take place. He sought us out. Seeking to, to bring us back to himself. 
Paul told the Corinthian church that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Let me be a little personal for a moment. When Jesus came looking for me, he his 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 road to the cross took him down a long path of indifference and rebellion. It was littered with the trash of worldliness. There were obstacles of pride and selfishness that would have discouraged anyone. A normal person would have looked at it and said, it's not worth it. But God in his faithfulness, and God in his mercy, continued down the road. He dogged my tracks because he saw in me what could be and not what was. And to that, I will be eternally grateful. What was he willing to do? Well, Paul said it really well in Philippians 2. He said, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This is God. And was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he did it all so that I might live, so that you might live. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for everyone. For he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What a wonderful Savior we have. And my question this morning is, do you know him? Pretty simple question. Do you know him? Bow your heads with me, please. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around, please. Do you know him? Have you realized and acted on the truth that he made the trip to the cross for you? If you haven't, why not do something about it now? It is so important. It's the most important decision you've ever made in your life. If you've never come to the cross of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, He's there, willing to meet you there and to wash your sin white as snow. But you've got to trust him. You've got to take him at his word. 
You've got to accept his free gift. You've got to be willing to, to turn from any ways that you've devised. Oh, I didn't say that you've got to measure up. I just said you've got to have a willingness to turn. That's called repentance. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. You need to, you need to ask him to give you strength not to sin. He will. But the most important thing is just to ask him for forgiveness and accept it because he's offering it right now. You're here this morning. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Let me encourage you this morning to pray a very simple prayer with me this morning. You can pray it silently between you and God and he'll hear it and you'll be saved. But you got to do it. You got to come to Him in faith. Pray with me, dear God. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I ask your forgiveness of my sin. I believe that you've made that trip to the cross and died there for me to pay for my sin. So I accept you as my personal Savior. I just want to thank you this morning for doing that for me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I do it all for Jesus. Our heads are still bowed and our eyes are still closed. Let me say a word to believers for a moment. You know, we look at our lives and sometimes we wonder if we're going to be taken care of or not. Even after we're saved. And we know what eternity holds, but we just don't know whether we're going to be able to make it through life or not. If you're under a lot of pressure and wondering what tomorrow holds, wondering if God's going to take care of you or not, just go back to the cross. Knowing that all he did for you at the cross, don't you think that he'll look out for you here and now? Sure he will. The Bible says he's a friend that loves at all times. Why not quit thinking it's all up to you and start trusting your good friend, Jesus, to take care of you? He wants to. He's made the offer. Just trust him and let him let him work on your behalf. Now I got a warning for you. He doesn't work in your time frame. You know, you're going to want to see results right now or maybe tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be next month. It may be next year. But I promise you one thing that he will let you have right now. That's a sense of knowing that he's with you. For he'll walk through the, the deepest valleys with you. He'll help you in times when no one else can. He'll always let you know that he's there. But you got to keep your, keep your focus on him and not on you or your problem. 
amazing how God works out those things in our lives when we just trust Him. Lord, I pray this morning that I pray for every individual in this, in this building, including this preacher, that Lord, that we would just remember the precious price that you pray, that you paid on Calvary's cross. Thank you, Lord, that the cross is more than an emblem we wear around our necks or, a, or an emblem that we put on the, on the steeples of our churches. The cross is the place or the battleground for our soul was won by the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can come to him. And as we come to the cross, as that old song we hear playing right now, we know there's room for, at the cross for us. Always be room at the cross. And that Jesus will meet us there. Lord, bless us this coming week as we work towards Resurrection Day. It'll just be an awesome Sunday. Help us see our attendance up on that day. God, that the services will honor you in every way. Father, I, I just thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for ministering to me. And I know you've ministered to others as well. Thank you for being with us today. We love you. We praise you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there is room at the cross for you.